and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let me set my timer here so I don't go overboard here. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, I appreciate uh, the job that Chris did last week and that Pastor Michael did the week before as I was recovering from the surgery that I had, and I am back. I am healthy and well. I have had a good report from the doctor, and but I praise the Lord. I'm grateful for that. But I already had a good report before I went in it because the report of the Lord is, by the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. I'm always glad to get the good report from the doctor, but I'm not moved by whether this is a good report or not report. We used to sing a song based on Isaiah 53.1. Whose report? Whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But it's nice to get a good report from the doctor. Praise God. So what we began to talk about at the beginning of this year is we came to the end through last year with a very challenging year for almost all of us, and certainly as a church, all the churches were challenged around the world, not just here. And we recognize that we have stepped into a new era, spiritually, undoubtedly, but certainly in terms of the things that are going on in the world. And I just sense a, a change that's taking place, and I, most of us, I think, can agree, agree with that. So where does that leave us as Christians? Does that mean we have to scramble and hope that we're going to make it? And this just gets more and more impressed on me. God did not put us here at such a time as this to fail. He did not put us here, listen carefully, to survive. Because survival means you don't go backwards. But He put us here to overcome. It is a privilege that God would choose to choose you and me to be in this earth, in the church, at such a time as this. Because God is about to show off. God is about to show off and do great and mighty things before this era closes down and His Son returns to take us home. So get ready, but you can't be a spectator sitting on the side and be ready. That's what this series is all about. And there's going to come a separating. There are people that have been lukewarm, that have been just sitting around and going through the motions. And there's going to come a time, and it may not be far off, when suddenly there's going to be a drastic change, and those that are ready will move on, and those that are not will be left behind. It's not something to be afraid of. Most likely, if you're here on a day they threaten snow, you're getting ready. <laughs> if you're watching online, you're getting, you're getting ready. It's a wake-up call. It's not a time to be afraid. But the Bible talks about there's going to be a separation from those that are just lukewarm, just hanging around, just going through the motions. Many of them undoubtedly have already kind of faded away because they can't just come here and do the normal things. In order to still be serving God now, there has to be a commitment in your heart because you're going through obstacles. It's not easy anymore. And it may get more challenging and more difficult, which leads us into why we're talking about what we're talking about. We're going back over some basic things, which is learning to walk by faith. And our key scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And what we learned several weeks ago when we began talking about this is walk implies how you live your life. You live, you go on a journey one step 
at a time. And each step is a step of faith because you have to trust that what you put your foot on is going to hold you up. And we use the example of walking out. I had to walk out the other night to take Molly out and I realized that there was black ice in my driveway. We have flagstones on a little patio and I put my first step out there and it started to slide. Well, my next step was very cautious because I did not have faith that that was going to hold me, so I had to walk by sight. But when we're not doing that, we just trust that we're... So living your life is the same way, one day at a time. So we began to talk about that and why that's so critical and so important. Because notice it doesn't say we just have a faith experience. Notice it doesn't say we're just healed by faith, we're saved by faith. But we walk every day, we live our life by faith. And we're going to learn how to do that. But before we do, today we're going to get into, into why this is so critical. Last time we, taught, we went to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. And this is the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we talked about the fact that, that, that there is a spirit realm out there that is more real than this physical, natural realm that the chair you're sitting in is part of, that the clothes you're wearing, that the body you live in is part of. And we live so much of our time aware of and conscious of this natural, physical realm. It's the realm your five senses detect that we're very seldom really conscious of that spirit realm that's out there that controls everything that happens in your life here. God is part of that realm. You are part of that realm on the inside. You are a spirit being and you have a soul and you live in this physical body. So what faith does, we learned, is so faith is what allows you to interact, to receive and to walk in relation to that spirit realm, which includes God and all the promises and provisions God has for you, to walk with the same certainty about the things in that realm that you have in this realm that you can touch, that you can see, that you can feel. And so it gives us that same certainty. So it's sometimes called your sixth sense. And it's designed to give you that same certainty. And we're not going to go back over that. I just would encourage you to, to get that message again. You can get it through the podcast. The notes are on our, on our website. So God's, so that's, that's what this is about. But today what we're going to look at is why this is not an option. Because we're all, you know, we were saved by faith. That's right. But we're going to see today, as we began to see last time, you didn't just get saved by faith, you were to live by faith. Every day, every moment, to live by faith. And here's the problem. Most Christians have not learned to live by faith. So when suddenly the world or their world gets turned upside down, they scramble and they panic because they've lived their life by sight, by their experiences by their five senses. And as long as our five senses are telling us good things, as long as the doctor's giving you good reports, as long as every, your wife smiles at you in the morning, the dog climbs up in your lap, and the children look at you and say, what a great set of parents you are. The world's great, and you go into that day with victory. But when your wife doesn't look at you like that, <laughs> your breakfast plate's upside down on the floor because she's mad at you about something. Not my wife would ever do that. When the dog does something in, the, in, front, in, in, in your living room and you step in it <laughs> and when the car doesn't start and your children's, you get a call from the principal that your children are in trouble, do you still walk with that same victory? 
when the news says that there's now another strain of COVID-19, not that I've seen that, and now we're now, well, maybe this vaccine's not, what, what does that do to your world? It tells you whether you're walking by faith or you're walking by sight. So we're going to look at why this is so critical. We're going to cover four things, five things. I believe we'll be able to get to all of them. And, and this is, I really had already planned, and I think I announced last time we were going to get into some talking about what faith is not. We'll talk about that probably next time. But let's go down. Hebrews 11 really traces these things out. But let's go down to Hebrews 11.6, very famous scripture. And let, let this sink in. For without faith, without faith, it's very hard to make God happy. Without faith, God's not so pleased. No, look what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, I believe everyone that's here this morning and those of you that are walk, watching online, you want to please God. You wouldn't be... If you wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't want to please God. You wouldn't be watching on a Super Bowl Sunday when you could be getting everything ready and looking at all the other stuff if, if you didn't want to please God. But just because we want to please God doesn't mean we are. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is vital, first of all, because you can't please God without it. Now, I've heard many teachers and preachers make this statement, and I probably have, and I'm not saying it's not true. What they say is this tells us that faith is what pleases God. And I believe faith does please God because the opposite of faith is unbelief. And Jesus rebuked his disciples for their unbelief on many occasions. Peter, we talked about this last time, he's the only one of the twelve that got out of the boat and walked on the water because he had faith in Jesus' word come. And when he got out there, he got distracted from Jesus, started looking at the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. And when they got back into the boat, you would have thought Jesus would have patted him on the back and said, Peter, at least you got out of that. Good try. No, he got mad, at, not mad, but he rebuked Peter. Why did you stop believing? So faith pleases God, but if you stop at that, you don't understand what the ultimate purpose of faith is, and it's in the rest of this verse, and this is what we're going to talk about for a while this morning. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? For, for he who comes to God must believe, that's faith, two things. So what faith allows us to do is the two things that the rest of this verse says pleases God. And there are all of other things we'll talk about that please God, I mean, that faith does. It allows God to provide for you. It does. But the most foundational thing that God intends for faith to do is to believe that He is. As a pastor... Of course we believe He is. We wouldn't be here if we didn't believe God is. And I believe that's true. But there are different levels of belief. And we're gonna, I'm going to read to you a quote in a minute. Let's see if I cover my notes here. 
we won't, the Bible's saying we won't come to him unless we really believe that he's there. Not just that he exists, but he's there for you to come to. See, when we, we read this, well, Pastor, I believe God is, but he's not talking about whether he exists. He's talking about whether he's there for you when you come to him. In other words, when you pray, is there anybody out there listening? See, a lot of times, and I've said this on Wednesday nights before, I think Christians' idea of prayer, and I know this was mine, is, well, we just take, the, we take some prayers and we kind of throw them up to where God is and kind of hope they stick. And since most of them don't get answered, they have, obviously those are the ones that fell back down. But maybe something's going to stick. And that's so many Christians see prayer, but there's no confidence in that. Because you see, the confidence comes out of a relationship. Faith is not something we do. Faith is not something we just learn. Faith is part of a relationship that we have with God our Father who created us, who redeemed us, and who loves us more than you'll ever begin to imagine. Faith comes out of a relationship. I have faith in my wife because I've known her for about 55 years, been married with her to, to her for almost 54 years. I have confidence in her because I know her. And when we have little faith and struggle with faith, it's because we really don't know God. We know who He is. We know supposedly where He lives. We may even know things He's done for us. But do you really know Him? And I want to read a quote. It's in my notes, so that if you want to get this quote, there are two places you can go. You can download the notes, and, or you can go to where I got this from. This is a quote from chapter 4 of A.W. Tozer's book, Pursuit of God. I'm telling you, if you've never read that book, you need to get that book and to read it. So I'm going to read this quote to you. It's a little long, but just bear with me. I want to let this touch your heart. He's talking about pursuing God. To most people, God is an inference, not a reality. He is a deduction from evidence which they consider adequate. But He remains personally unknown to the individual. He must be, they say, therefore we believe He is. Others don't even go that far. They know Him only by hearsay. They've never bothered to think the matter out for themselves. And they've heard about Him from others and they put belief in Him into the back of their minds along with other various odds and ends that make up their total creed. To many others, God is just an ideal, another name for goodness or beauty or truth or a law or life or the creative impulse back of the phenomenon of existence. These notions about God are many and they're varied, but they who hold them have one thing in common. They do not know God as a personal experience. The possibility of intimate acquaintance with Him has not even entered their minds. While admitting His existence, they don't think of Him as being knowable in the sense that we can know things or people. Christians, to be sure, go further than this, at least in theory. Their creed requires them to believe the personality of God, and they've been taught to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. 
Now, personality and fatherhood carry with them the idea of the possibility of a personal acquaintance. This is admitted, I say, in theory, but for millions of Christians, nevertheless, listen to this, God is no more real to them than He is to non-Christians. They go through their life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. Over against all this cloudy vagueness stands the clear scriptural doctrine that God can be known in personal experience. A loving personality dominates the Bible. Walking among the trees of the garden, breathing fragrance over every scene, always a living person is present, speaking, pleading, loving, working, and manifesting himself whenever and wherever his people have the receptivity necessary to receive the manifestation. The Bible assumes as self-evident, as a self-evident fact that men, listen carefully, that men can know God with at least the same degree of immediacy as they can know any other person or thing that becomes into their field of experience. So when the Bible talks about believe that He is, it's not just talking about believing that He exists. It's believing that He is really there with you, in you, and really there for you. What's begun to change my prayer life is I spend my time in prayer now on my face, not just so that I can be reverent, but so that I can cut everything else out. And I begin by reminding myself out loud, God, regardless of how I feel, you are right here, right now. You are looking at me, your heart is right now open to me, and your ears are open to hear what I have to say. And now I begin to realize that He is right here wanting to interact with me. What's your prayer life like? Is it sporadic? Is it a duty? Is it something you do dutifully but it's no life in it? It's because you don't really believe that He's there with you, not just listening to you, but wanting to hear what you have to say waiting when you get up in the morning for you to acknowledge Him and wanting to hear what your requests are so that He can be at work filling your requests, your prayers. More than anything else, God created man for relationship. And the fall, the rebellion of chapter 3 of Genesis broke that. Everything from that Bible, in your Bible, from Genesis 3:15 on is God restoring that relationship with every member of his creation to the point that the very end of the book describes God literally physically coming down and physically in all his glory dwelling in the midst of us everything from the tabernacle in the wilderness to the temple of Solomon to Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, to the Spirit of the living God filling up His people, 
All of that speaks to God not just dwelling here, but a desire to be physically present, to be spiritually present, to live in a living, vital, real relationship with you and me that is more intimate and more tangible and more real than your spouse or your children. That's the heartbeat of God. But the problem is on our side because we really don't believe that He's there. Because we won't step out if we think we may be disappointed. Romans chapter 10 talks about that because it's talking about how we got saved. And so the word is near you, even your mouth and your heart. That if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And it, right in there, one of those verses, and, and he will not disappoint you. Psalm 37 says, they looked to him and their faces were not ashamed. God will not disappoint you. So the problem's on our side. We don't really, really believe that he's there. So faith is critical to be able to walk in the relationship that God wants you to have with him. He wants you to to fill you up with his life and his joy and his peace. Paul's famous prayer that we pray so often, I pray so often in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm off my notes now. So Ephesians chapter 3. Paul prays that, and we, I pray this over and over again, you've heard me so many times, that he would strengthen us by his spirit in our inner man. I've I, I got, got a little sidestep here. I've prayed that hundreds and hundreds of times. I've met, and this morning I asked the Holy Spirit, show me something I've not seen before. And I read the first part of that verse and I, I'll teach you down the road. I can't do it today. I saw something I have never seen before. It, it, it turned me inside out, and I needed to be turned inside out this morning. That it would strengthen you with might. That's what it was about. Why did he do that? In our inner man, that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith, that being rooted and grounded in, rooted and grounded in love, we may come to know, together with all the saints, the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding listen that we may be filled with all the fullness of God say well that's impossible unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that's way up in heaven that might come down no the power that's at work in you in us is the presence, the life of God. That's the presence and life of God that sustained Moses' body for 40 days and 40 nights on that mountain. He didn't eat food and he didn't drink any liquid for 40 days and 40 nights. You can't do that. But he was in the presence of life himself. And in the presence of life himself, you can't die. That's why when we pray, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body. He will bring that life to dominate the sickness and disease that's in your body and drive out the sickness and disease that can't stand in the presence of the life of God. It's in you right now. He's in you right now. That's all in you right now. The power that it works in us. Why don't we see it? Because we don't believe that he's really is there. By faith, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because what pleases God 
is we come to him. We come to him. In a crisis, in a time of need, where do you turn first? Who do you pick up the phone to call? What do you do first? Or do you, first of all, turn inside to him and hear what he has to say? When this COVID broke almost a year ago now, we had just come back from vacation and came back to this suddenly beginning of church. And, and to a pastor, that just pounds at your mind. It's like, well, what are we going to do? We can't come together anymore. Is the church going to fold up? And all these things start swirling in your mind. But I've learned this. I don't know. I'm not perfect at this. But I've learned to turn inside and, all right, what do you have to say? I know what's being shouted at me through my mind and by the devil and out in the world. But what, what do, you, what do you, you live in me? What do you have to say? And I began to hear God said, for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Don't be moved by what you see. For such a time as this. And if I put you here, the church, for such a time as this, I'll provide what you need. I'll do, I'll, I'm there. I'll do what you need. So get your eyes on me and don't get moved by what you see. Oh, wow. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So the first thing is we can't have a relationship, a real, the relationship God intends to have with you, you cannot have unless you've developed your, or developing your faith. Second thing, let's go put the verse 11.6 back up there. It's not just that you believe that He is, but that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So the second thing God wants to do for us is He wants to be a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now the Greek word seek, is, diligently is not a separate word in the Greek. It's the Greek word which means to persistently go after something. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And there's two aspects of this which we're going to need to cover kind of quickly and we can go back over most of this. So, first of all, He's a rewarder means He responds to your prayers. He responds to you when you seek Him. He's not only just there, but He's there to interact with you. See, relationship is developed through interaction. And every wife should have said, Amen. <laughs> he sits across me at the breakfast table with his phone in his face, and he doesn't interact with me. There's no relationship going on there. But when we actually communicate with one another, when we make requests back and forth, when you, when you trust God, when you ask Him and you trust Him for some need and you see God come through, what that does for your relationship. Uh, if, we had, if we had another hour and a half, I could just tell you story after story after story of ways God has come through for me in crisis situations where I turned to Him, when I cried out to Him and there was no other possibility. And sometime we may get to some of those stories, but we don't have time today. So that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That means seeking Him with your heart, not just lip service. Not giving, well, I'm going to give you a shot at this, God, and if you can't answer this, I'm going to go somewhere else. What He's after is your heart. What He's after is your heart. So it takes faith to have confidence that a God you can't see is there and the God you can't see is listening, and the God you can't see is, going, is answering your prayer. We instinctively know that He's holier than we are. We know God's holy. 
We also know how not holy <laughs> we are. I mean, I know you know you've been made righteous, I know, but, but we know ourselves. So in order to come to God, a holy God, we, we tend to shrink back. Why would God answer my prayers? Why, why, would God, why would God even want to listen to me? I'm so insignificant. That's pride and unbelief. So it takes faith to overcome this. Remember in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve rebelled and did what they did, when God came down to talk to them, where were they? They were hiding from Him because they were afraid and they hid from His presence and man has lived there ever since and unfortunately most Christians live in the same place. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, if you can put that up, this is what, why it takes faith. This is what God did. He made Him, that God made Him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us. So God took sin and put it on His sinless Son, and then on that cross, He paid the full penalty for, that, for your sin and my sin. And once He did this, look that, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, there's several things here people misunderstand, don't, don't catch when they read this. So this is called the great exchange. He took our sin and paid for it. He had to do that first so that our sin was paid for. Then he took his own righteousness. We don't have time to develop this, but it's a righteousness he earned by perfectly obeying the law. He, for 33 and a half years, never broke the law in, in deed in thought or in words. And then when this was done, he took that righteousness that he had earned and he gave that to those of us that turned to him. That we might become the righteousness of God. And here's the key, in him. Apart from him, we're not the righteousness of God. (laughs) We know ourselves. But if you're in him... You have to have His righteousness because when you came, oh, when you came in Him, your unrighteousness did not defeat His righteousness. But it takes faith to receive this because we don't always act like we're righteous. But it's not how you act, it's what you believe. So it takes faith to believe that why would God answer my... Because why? I, I pray this way now. I'm in Christ, which means when I come to you, it's Christ coming to you because I'm in Him. So I have the same confidence He's hearing me and answering my prayers that Jesus had that He heard Him and answered His prayers because I'm in, I'm one with Christ. And if you're one with Christ, you ought to have the same confidence also. It's not confidence in yourself. It's confidence in the Christ that you're now one with, and He's one with you. So why would God not listen to you and answer your prayers? Well, the main reason we don't get answered our prayers is we don't believe that He's answering them. Hebrews 10.19. This is what God says about this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Stop there a second. The holiest refers to the holy of holies in the tabernacle, which refers to the actual physical manifest presence of God. A place where only the high priest could go once a year, having performed the atonement and wearing certain robes. 
But now, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, this is the physical presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Say there a second. The word boldness there means openness, honesty, able to just say whatever's on your mind. You have anybody have a relationship, hopefully this is your spouse, have a relationship with somebody where you can just be completely open and honest. Whatever you're feeling and thinking, it just, it just comes right out. And that's what that word means. You don't have to present yourself a certain way. You don't have to say just the right words. Those are, that's the law. You come just as you are. Boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Next verse. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, he represents us there. Verse 22. This, here's it. Let us draw near, near to him in a real living relationship. Let us draw near to him in full assurance or confidence of faith. Faith in what? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil, that means a guilty conscience, and our bodies washed, that's through baptism, with pure water. Full assurance of what? Faith. Because you can't see the look on his face. You can't see his arms open to you when come to pray. You can't see the smile that he's pleased with you when he looks at you. You can't see those the way you can when you interact with another human being. You come up to somebody, you kind of, and if you don't know them for sure, or you're not sure, or maybe husbands, you come home at night and you kind of open the door and see what's the atmosphere in here. You're not sure what you're going to get greeted as. That's why it's nice having a little dog. You know, no, we won't go there. No, and she has a wonderful greeting. I'm not talking about my wife. But, but you can't see his greeting. So it has to be by faith in what he says. He's how he sees you. From a guilty conscience, that's what most of us struggle with, our bodies washed with pure water, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised. See, our, our, our senses often tell us we're still unrighteous. And you may be in your actions, but your nature has been changed when you were born again. But we need to rely on God's Word and not on our senses. So that's the first aspect that He's a rewarder. Go back to Hebrews 11.6. The second aspect refers to the fact of the place He wants into our life as our only God. And we may not get a chance to develop all this today. We may have to finish this, this next time. God, let's go to, to Exodus 20. God wants to be not just in a, in a living relationship with you, but He wants to, in fact, He's entitled to, be your God. This is the first in the great commandment. The Lord God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, <laughs> He didn't bring any of us out of Egypt that I know of, but Egypt represents the world. So God's saying to you, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the world. Out of the house of bondage. We were in bondage to sin. We were in bondage to fear. We were in bondage to self. And God's saying, I brought you out of that. Not I will bring you out of it when you act right. I brought you out of that. Look at the next verse. 
You shall have no other gods before me. Now we're talking about him being a rewarder. He rewards us by responding to our prayers. He rewards us by being there in our, in our relationship with him. But he also wants to respond and reward you by answering your prayers for the things that you need. It's what he wants to be in your life. It's not just what he wants to be in your life. It's what he has the exclusive right to be in your life because of who he is. The very basics, basis of the fall, the sin in Genesis chapter 3, wasn't that she ate the fruit. The fruit rulers, they chose because they were tempted to. They chose to exercise their own independent judgment about what God said instead of just obeying it. And when they chose to exercise their own independent judgment, they set themselves up as their own God in relationship with that God. And that's what you and I have lived in. We were raised in it, we were indoctrinated with it, and that's the battle we fight every day when you're committed your life to God. It's that old self that still wants to rule. Oh, and Christians are good at this because we'll read the Word, we'll pray, we'll love God, we'll worship God, but we still reserve the final judgment over what we're going to do or not do. And when we reserve the final judgment over what we will obey and not obey, when we reserve the final judgment over what we believe is truth or not truth, when we reserve that final judgment, we're still exercising, we're still acting like our own God in relationship with Him as God. We're equal gods. And of course, that ain't so. And so much of the church is in this place. They're defining God the way they want Him to be defined in terms of what he can do or can't do, what he will do or will do. Well, I just think God, I think God's too loving. He would never send people to hell. Well, you can have all your thought you want, but you're wrong. And yet that very thought is you're exercising your own judgment against God's word. Aren't you glad for grace? (laughs) So God is saying here, I want to be that God to you. In other words, what what is a God? A God is your source, what you turn to and trust in for your identity, for your protection, for your provision. Let me see what other Asian I have here. For your supply, everything you need, for your health. And what do you rely on? to provide for your health, your, your, your food, your, your, your basic resources of life. What do you look to and rely upon as your source that you trust in for all these things? And I would suggest for 90% of the Christians, it's not Him. Oh, we may ask Him to help. This is why the tithe is so critical. Verna did a great job with that this morning. Because God's saying, that first tenth that you have isn't yours. The first tenth of that isn't yours. It's mine. But I've entrusted it to you. Because I want to see whether you'll bring it to me. Notice the Bible never says to give your tithes. Because you can give something that belongs to you. It talks about giving offerings. 
but he talks about bringing your tithes because that tithe has never belonged to you. It belongs to him under a principle called the principle of firsts. God demands to be first because that's who he is. He demands to be first because that's who he is. You're getting quiet in here. But this is why faith is so important. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm trying to figure out how, because time's going to run out, how to unhook here and not leave you dangling with this. (laughs) This is the great commandment on which every other commandment hangs. You can do all the other things, but if you don't have this one, they all fall short. Here's what it is. Put it back. Go back to verse 2. Notice, here's a key word in here. Notice he doesn't say, I am the Lord God. I am the Lord the God. You shall have no other gods before me. No, he says, I am the Lord your God. God's not standing there demanding that we honor and worship Him because of who He is. What He's demanding is that we enter into a relationship with Him where we allow Him to be God to us. This is not the words of a stern, hard, angry God because if, if we'd all fry if that's the true case. What God is saying here, I want you to allow me to be who I want to be to you. I want to be your protection. I want to be your provision. I want to be your physician. I want to be all these things to you. And believe me, I can do a much better job than you can do or the people you turn to. Because when we allow God to be these things to us, it develops that intimacy and that relationship. And this is why we're spending time on this, because that's at the heart of it. It's all about the heart. God wants your heart. He wants to have the first place in your heart because He wants to give Himself to you. He doesn't want to take things away from you. He wants to give Himself to you. And He wants to give to you all the blessings. We sang about, Lord bless you, Lord keep you. He wants to, I just, my heart got welled up with that this morning. What God, how God wants to bless you with himself and all that he can do for you. We quote quote Psalm 91 when we're going through difficult times and we need protection. But the first two verses is what it's all about. It talks about the relationship. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my God, my rock. It talks about a relationship where we allow Him to be in these roles for us that He wants to be. So He's not angry at you. He's not pouring judgment at you. We'd all fried long ago. God's knocking at the door saying, will you let me in? I want to be your God in all these situations. I want to be first in your heart because I can do so much more for you and all those other resources you're turning to and relying on and then calling on me last with no faith. So it takes faith to believe that he's going to be your God in the middle of those situations. We're going to have to end here. I just, I'm, I'm in the middle of this point. But what I want to get into will spell this out for us more. 
So as we prepare to close, I'm just we're gonna I'm gonna pray in a minute. I just want to have you close your eyes for a minute. This message was not intended to in any way condemn us. If God wanted to do that, he would have done a long time ago. But he wants to open our eyes in this challenging time that we're in. So I want you to take just a a few minutes. We're not going to take very long. Before we dismiss and we pray, give an altar call, what's God spoken to you this morning? The Holy Spirit lives in you. What is he showing you? He's not here to condemn you. So if that's what you've heard, you're not, that's not his voice. But maybe he's opening your heart, your eyes to see uh, where you really are. He's done that with me through what I just came through. But I didn't get condemned over it. I just saw it as God helping me to grow more. If you've really struggled in your faith and you've just been panicked and overwhelmed, this is a wake-up call to realize you need to begin to right where you are, develop your faith. God will meet you right where you are. He loves you. He's your Father. But He's here to train us. We're going to see that next week. He's here to train us in our faith if you will allow Him to. If you will allow Him to be a Father to you that loves you but wants to help you to grow and mature in your faith and bring you out of your unbelief. He wants to do that for you but you've got to be willing to let Him and it starts by humbling yourself enough to just admit where you really are. He's not angry at you but you've got to admit where you really are. So Father, we come to you this morning and your word as always exposes us. In fact, your word says it does that. It's quick, it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to divide between the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And thank you that it does, because it's your way of bringing wholeness and healing to our lives. Thank you that you love us enough as a father to bring correction and bring direction and instruction to us. And Father, in this time where you placed us, this is critical that we learn these things. So I pray for each one of us as we prepare to leave here in just a couple of moments that that your spirit would help us to absorb these things and open our hearts to begin to grow. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close the service, we always want to do this. If you're here this morning or, or maybe you're watching online and you've never entered into this kind of relationship with God. You've, maybe you've been in church your whole life and, and you've been part of a denomination and they've taught you that, as most denominations do, that it's based on how good you are. You know, you've got to do all these deeds. You've got to say these right prayers. You've got to do this and do that. And, and it leaves you not, have I done enough? I, I, or maybe I'm pretty confident because I've done a lot of things. But the Bible does, tells us very clearly it's not what you've done or not done brings you into heaven or avoids hell it's the relationship that you have with God as your father through Jesus Christ Jesus put it this way in order to enter into heaven you must you must be born again in other words there has to be a fundamental change in your nature that you can't do yourself with all your effort and all your good works it can only come because you 
call upon Jesus to come in and to change your heart and to change who you really are on the inside and to bring his love and his grace into your heart. And that's not religion, that's a relationship. So if you're watching right now, or maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that, I want to help you to do that. Or maybe you've done it before and you've just kind of slid back. Well, you can pray this again. God still loves you. So here's what I want you to do. Just repeat this prayer with me. All you've got to do is mean it as best you can. That's all you've got to do. And then I want to give you just a little bit of instruction at the end and then we're going to dismiss. So pray this with me. You don't need to kneel or stand. Just God's right there listening to you. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I put my life into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me that much. Amen. So if you prayed that today...